This week we're going to be looking at the case of IPCO Nigeria Limited and Nigerian National Petroleum Corporation. The citation for this case is 2017 UKSC 16. And at its heart, this is a rather complicated case that can trace its origins all the way back to 2004. In that year, IPCO had been awarded more than $150 million in an arbitration case that stemmed from a contract to build a petroleum export terminal for the Nigerian National Petroleum Corporation, or NNPC for short. NNPC challenged this award for a variety of fraud-based and non-fraud-based reasons, and this is what led to the huge delay as the case made its way through the Nigerian legal system. There had been attempts in the past to deal with these issues within the context of the English legal system, but this only led to the case being adjourned pending a result from Nigeria. The case before us today began in 2012 as a renewed application by IPCO to get the award enforced after yet more delays in Nigeria. When the case got to the Court of Appeal, it was pretty clear that they were simply sick of the whole thing by this point. They decided to cut right to the heart of the issue and remitted the case back to the commercial court in England so that they could examine whether the award should be enforced in light of the allegations of fraud. In the meantime, all other enforcement proceedings would be adjourned and NNPC would have to pay security of $100 million on top of the $80 million that they had already provided in other cases. NNPC appealed to the Supreme Court on the basis that they should not have to pay the $100 million security that was requested, and this is where we pick the case up. In a unanimous decision, the Supreme Court decided to allow NNPC's appeal against the security, but in order to understand why, we need to examine the relevant legislation. The Arbitration Act 1996 also incorporates an international agreement known as the New York Convention, and for the purposes of this case, we will be focusing on Section 103. This is because the Court of Appeal based its decision on Subsection 5, which does allow for a security payment, rather than subsections 2 or 3, which do not. They did this because they considered that the remittance of the case to the commercial court constituted an adjournment of the case. However, an adjournment in this context only exists where the enforcement order and the application against the award occur in the same country. In other words, it doesn't apply simply because of the delays to proceedings we had in Nigeria as part of this case. Without an adjournment under subsection 5, there can be no need for security. Interestingly, another argument in favour of the security payment was made by reference to the English civil procedure rules, but the Supreme Court pointed out that the intention of the New York Convention within the context of international law is to provide a complete regime for arbitration cases. To mix this up with the rules specific to England would contradict the idea of having a complete set of rules that exist across national boundaries. Normally at this point I would take the opportunity to provide some evaluation of the case and I do hope to do that, but first it's quite interesting to look at an article that has been written about this by a solicitor's firm called Withers LLP. The article itself generally just describes what happened in the case as I've already done, so there's no point going over that again. But I'd quite like to go through the comment bit of the piece um, line by line. 
So it starts off by saying it is a rare occasion when the Supreme Court has had opportunity to analyse the parts of the Arbitration Act which relate to enforcement of arbitral awards, and so this analysis of section 103 of the Act will be helpful in future as arbitration continues to grow. It's certainly very useful, I think, um, to get an opinion from the Supreme Court on any area of law, and this is certainly true for section 103. Now, we already knew that this related to the New York Convention anyway, and so there is already some case law on this, but clearing that up and establishing the international legal order is certainly very useful. But I think it's also worth bearing in mind in the light of this comment that the type of case that we're looking at here is very rare and it's quite unusual. I can't imagine it being replicated on a very common basis, so it's questionable about how useful this interpretation is really going to be moving forward. Anyway, our commenter goes on to say, but the decision whether to order security for costs will turn on the facts of each case, and the facts of this case are quite unique. Well, yeah, I mean, we've just sort of said that. Um, it's a very unusual case, and it's unlikely that we'll see it again. But to say that this turns on the facts of the case is quite wrong. We're not really looking at the facts or the underlying fraud or alleged fraud that's been going on here in these particular circumstances. What we're really focusing on, especially when we've got to this level of the Supreme Court, is the procedural history of the case and this interaction between the Nigerian legal system and all of the delays that have gone on with that and its own interaction with the English legal system and the latest decision by the um, Court of Appeal to remit the case back to the commercial court so that they can come to a decision. So we have to be careful between getting uh, mixed up between the facts of the case and also the procedural history on the other hand. So the final point that our commenter makes is that perhaps the court would have gone a different way if the fraud allegations had not been found to be bona fide by Justice Field and by the Court of Appeal. Uh, Justice Field was the person who originally made the decision in this case, um, and I think that we can comment on this in a couple of ways. Um, I'm not sure that Justice Field or the Court of Appeal actually said that the fraud allegations were bona fide. Um, this wording is a little bit strange because it's su suggestive that the fraud allegations are true, but that's not necessarily the case. It's just that Justice Field and the Court of Appeal said that on the face of it, there is a case to be answered in terms of the fraud. It's not necessarily saying that it's um, definitely going to succeed, but there is definitely a case that needs to be answered. Meanwhile, it perhaps is an interesting question to ask what would have happened if there wasn't a prima facie case in terms of the fraud allegations. With a case that's been going on this long, if there wasn't really any basis for allowing it to continue because the allegations were simply wrong or had no real basis in fact, then it perhaps is likely that the lower courts would have simply just um, given the enforcement order and made sure that the um, NNPC did pay the um, award that was given to IPCO as part of that original decision including obviously interest for the amount that's accrued over the last 10-15 years or so. So the comments in this piece don't really actually tell us very much at all. The person has clearly just sort of gone through the case and made some sort of generic comments about section 103, 
But I think there maybe is a slightly more interesting, wider point that can be made within the context of this Supreme Court judgment, and that's relating to the idea of international law. It wasn't a big part of the case, but the idea not to apply the English civil procedure rules was quite a big decision, because it makes sure that when we're dealing with international law, we're creating a legal system that operates across national boundaries and is not going to be interpreted differently in one country from another. And this is particularly important in these sort of commercial cases that often do go across national boundaries and can be decided in other countries, such as England or Nigeria or America, or whoever is a signatory to this New York Convention. Having such a legal system that is enforced consistently across the world is really important for doing business, and it creates a certainty in the law that means that companies are able to feel confident that decisions by arbitrators in whatever country will be enforced and can be decided upon in other jurisdictions. As I've already said, the facts of this particular case really are unique, and I personally don't think that they will be replicated anytime soon. Hopefully not, given that this case has already gone on for about 13-14 years already. Nevertheless, the idea of the English courts picking this up from the Nigerian legal system is interesting, and it will be certainly interesting to see what the commercial court decides, and if they do decide in one way or another, whether that case will be appealed up towards the Supreme Court once again. Well, thank you very much for listening to this podcast episode. If you did enjoy it, make sure to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. That is very much appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Marcus Cleaver. And you can also check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Marcus Cleaver. Thanks again for listening. Bye.